0: After all this, you still? I still want that gas. Yes, and you had better deliver.
1: All right, dear listeners, uh, we're back today. It's me and John in the studio. Ah, uh, man, things have been rough lately, haven't they?
0: Yeah, they've been uh, interesting. I think is a is a safe way to call that. It,
1: interesting is the safe word, but it, it doesn't even it doesn't even begin to. Capture just how deep some of this shit runs, right? yeah, so, i I wrote a little spiel here I, I can get into it, but feel free to interrupt me wherever you see you see fit right absolutely um so since we last did uh our current affairs segment, um we did have an uh a segment in that episode, you know pertaining to the conflict in Israel and Palestine, and since then, it's significantly worsened. And for my money, responses from U.S. leadership are not really conclusive or reassuring to me in a positive sense. Mm -hmm. And it would be really remiss of us not to comment on the unfortunate killing that happened the day we released this previous episode. So on October 14th, um, Wadi el Fayum, who was a six-year-old Palestinian-American boy, was killed when he was stabbed 26 times in his Illinois home. In what authority? If the authorities themselves have come out and said that this is a anti-Muslim and anti-Palestinian hate crime, and it cannot really be stressed any harder that this happened because the killer was his parents' landlord, and he was radicalized by conservative talk radio.
0: Yeah, with, I mean, with, it, it, oh, go ahead, go ahead. That's yeah, that's just insane to me. Like, it's insane that we kind of let this. Thing happened like if if I, if, if, our, if someone watched any other like piece of media and they were they got radicalized to a point where they started doing murders like if someone watched like I don't know god forbid Sesame Street and kids started murdering each other the first thing they would do is to investigate and figure out what's going on but because it's conservative talk radio this is just something that happened that we just need to accept it's just the unfortunate like side effects of life which is just unreal
1: it's it's bad it's really bad and like there is like a talk radio to violence pipeline that just doesn't get examined or discussed and i mean if you look at the content like glenn beck passed away like not too long ago and the content of his program was particularly hateful and vile
0: rush limbaugh yeah
1: yeah oh rush limbaugh my bad i meant to say rush limbaugh not glenn beck sorry but uh uh Glenn Beck's not not exactly a darling either that guy's also weird but yeah fair um the the fucked up thing in a lot of this too is you had conservative leaders like Marjorie Taylor Greene of all people saying that the 14th was a uh, alleged international day of jihad or something and you know on the show we'd remarked that to this to this hour there are no casualties yeah it turns out um this kid was the only casualty of the day and this was this was done to him, uh, by someone taking Israel's side, uh, radicalized by conservative talk radio, and the violence was directed towards you know a Palestinian American family in this case. So
0: yeah, do, you, do we know where those claims of this like international goddess day came from? Because like it, uh, it definitely, that's... it definitely reminds me. Remember back um like a couple years ago, like, every conservative like in America was like. Frothing at the mouth over like the the caravan coming from the southern border, which were like never seen, never, never happened, and now Uh, like this. This is so reminiscent, right?
1: I mean, the the thing is, is allegedly some Hamas spokesperson called for it, and like nothing happened. You know? Yeah. Like of course there was like mostly nonviolent protest everywhere. Mm -hmm. um you know people are making their opinions on the matter heard but nothing constituting violence or terrorism uh outside right i don't think i don't think any of that has occurred so this was pure fear-mongering pure sensationalism and i mean dare i say it a bald-faced lie from the right wing
0: dare to say it i will back you up on it 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 was a lie like the only like 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 we just said earlier, the only casualty was a uh, Palestinian child. Oh, also, um, just a a quick edit here. The uh, his mother was also a victim. Yes, the, she was stabbed yeah. as
1: well. Yeah, it was. Yep. It's it's unfortunate entirely. Um, and with all this being said, you know, it's it's evident that. All of us here at Greenhouse Gaslighting, we we may not be the best qualified to speak or even continue speaking on the subject of the conflict as it plays out in Israel and Palestine. And as much as we've tried to be fair and even-handed, it still cannot be understated that the baying for blood continues and the forces mobilizing against the cause of Palestinian liberation or any true peace are waging a vicious propaganda war in addition to a literal one. So. We're back to the drawing board once again, and we are making what I like to call a tactical retreat into the past. Uh, I borrow this term from Jimmy Falun Gong, who mentioned this in his episodes on Program to Chill about the works of Thomas Pynchon. So on this program, we speak fairly often, and I argue correctly, in my estimation at least, (laughs) that... uh, U.S. political discourse occurs in the terrain of the culture war, and while it generally skews to domestic issues, I think we should insist that the post-9-11 era has also shaped uh, discussions surrounding foreign policy and war, uh, specifically as it pertains to how the United States inserts itself, exacerbates, or gets involved in foreign conflict uh, as a kind of peg to be pushed into the culture war slots. And we see that play out in uh, today's discourse as well. So, coming to, we're trying to bring this full circle, right? It's not very long ago that the American right had focused its most rabid ire onto the LGBTQ community uh, with new demonic archetypes like Ron DeSantis. Basing an entire political strategy around cruelty of the most rank variety to LGBTQ people and waging this culture war front. And what I notice now is that it's the same folks now jockeying for position on the Israel Palestine front. So you had Ron mm-hmm. DeSantis immediately, you know, insisting that the United States shouldn't take in any Palestinian refugees. Uh, And to maybe tie this back, you know, earlier, right? When it comes to this wanton cruelty and wanton suspicion of queer people in the United States, the myth of the groomer, the dynamics of the culture war, and the political technology as it pertains to how we've carried out uh, a Politics of Dehumanization. It's playing out very similarly with how certain mainstream sources are commenting on Palestinians and in essence, any narrative of oppressed peoples or populations who present glaring contradictions or problems uh, for ruling orders.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good point. It's because it's, it's not every minority on the on, you know here. It's specifically the one that challenge the status quo the ones that like not fit this prescribed like rigid hierarchy that like our you know our society tries to force them to which is very
1: yeah it's kind of like how you know the plight of the palestinian people presents a contradiction in this you know uh image we present of the state of Israel as a liberal democracy, right? And the United States supporting it, underwriting this as a liberal democracy, that brings this contradiction to a head. I wouldn't say that what we're going to get into today presents a pure equivalence. Of course, the contours of all of these discussions are markedly different, but they present similarities that I think are worth investigating, right? Um, and in this case, you know, I think uh, queer life in America, um, same-sex relationships, um, questioning of gender norms, right, it exposes a more domestic uh, social contradiction of, you know, the nuclear family as we come to understand it, of rigid gender norms, um Specifically like Victorian sensibilities um, being collapsed onto themselves, right? That's the contradiction at the heart of the discourse or the culture war discourse surrounding queer issues in the United States.
0: Yeah, and I think, I, I love thinking about it like, like you said, like contradiction, like opposing. Because it's interesting watching these opposing forces interact No way like we're gonna get into it later but like a lot of the a lot of the pushback and like a lot of the reaction that we're gonna talk about ultimately fueled uh more of this like pro-gay uh like activism and uh it kind of it kind of i don't i don't want to say i'm very hesitant to say it helped the movement right because these people were you know marginalized and you know ultimately hurt by these reactionaries but it kind of pushed in a in a new direction, the resolution of some of these contradictions are just uh, you know more acceptance and a you know a, a, a shift to the left of the of the social norms that we were, which is always interesting.
1: Yes, exactly. So let's bring to the front. Um, John also writes um, on Medium his thoughts and. Now I, I want to basically call this a kind of like investigative series you did, right? We're going to talk about your series "Unmasking the Code," um, unraveling the origin of right-wing dog whistles. We're going to cover both parts of the series you wrote, um, and you investigate, you know, uh, these like right-wing ideas of like family values, this origin of the the narrative uh, groomer, you know. And we we kind of were hoping to initially just talk about this topic in the vacuum of just like, you know, you presenting your articles, mm-hmm. and we just have an extended discussion, mainly because of how much hay was made by the right about LGBTQ issues and the, you know, the politics of cruelty they designed around it. But then they've kind of thrown that ball in favor of going rabid. On foreign policy which you know i think american political discourse is an exercise in this kind of selective cultural amnesia right yeah i think i think it will serve to be useful because the evangelical movement who you um hold accountable in these articles is not necessarily off the hook here either they also have fanned the flames of this conflict and i think it's worth investigating Uh, their activities as you've mentioned in these articles
0: yes yes because it's 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 insane how so many of these are all related to the same movement within christianity it it, like i when i first began working on these articles the idea wasn't even to explore the culture war it wasn't to sit there and critique christianity the point was just to go here's a term and that is often used in political discourse among the right. Here's what like normies or like you know the average person would hear when they hear these terms. But guess what? It's a dog whistle. Here's what they mean when they say it. Here's what here's what their select group of people um, that they're trying to like signal. Here's what they hear when they hear this. Um, and that's I I think I I, I did accomplish the goal. In some of these articles and there's more. There's gonna be more terms I'm gonna explore later. But it, it, it was just very interesting that the first two terms that I pick are uh, family values and the term groomer. And these two terms um, just so happen to be so heavily interlocked within the same group of people, the same evangelical reactionary uh, movement that was you know kind of flared up during the culture war. It, it's very interesting.
2: Exactly
1: um let's let's get straight into it so we'll start with your your first uh piece in this um where you speak on family values so i think the piece really does present like you know what the moral majority faction of the evangelical right was trying to do um in their heyday was a project of reinstating social circle or if not reinstating, like you know, upholding social convert- conservatism, uh, as well as anti queer bigotry and misogyny, through the guise of the nuclear family, and and also in the article, you do also get into the kind of scientific racism at the heart of you know opposition to welfare and social prog- uh, programs. So so let's get right into it.
0: Absolutely so the the term the fr- term in the first article is just family value and i guess i'll break it down exactly how i said i was going to the article kind of move there family the value originally was just this term that if you heard a lot of people think okay working class people people with family um but it is a dog whistle and when you blow that whistle the dog he actually hears um a very specific set of values, a very specific, a very specific shape of what a family should be. Um, and this is your general like nuclear family, but along with um, Christian values. And um, this, I think, is very interesting. The the entire like moral majority um, essentially was a huge evangelical backlash to the like. Progressive societal changes that were happening, um, like in the 1960s, um, the 70s, these groups started popping up, and they started feeling like this: No, we need to protect our social, we need to protect our family, and um, they essentially were just trying to uphold like the what they what they perceived as the sanctity of this nuclear family, this this straight couple, straight white couple that was had amazing, perfect, godly norms. They had a religious moral. Um, they had religious morals. The the men was out working, and the women were in the kitchen while they were handling their domestic responsibility, having children. Right, and um, that was essentially the 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 goal they were trying. the The term I don't think that the moral majority um, and these other religious groups ultimately came up with the term. Um, but what ended up happening, they heavily popularized. Um, specifically around, specifically in like the 70s, 80s. Um, so, um, yeah, that that's ultimately what the the first article is about. It's talking about the moral majority mo- uh, movement, which started off with uh, Jerry Falwell, um as well as well as um, for, what's the other guy's name? Peter. Uh, it begins with a W. Peter the other paul guy Are you yeah irish? paul irish i'm sorry i I don't know why i could uh, blank but paul irish was influential and heavily responsible also for the um founding of the heritage foundation if you want to know how how crazy interconnected all these guys
1: well yeah uh, because it's like you know the the subtext there is like uh the heritage foundation is like the recruiting apparatus for all these conservative judges and like the whole ploy for restricting uh, abortion access and reproductive rights by gumming everything up in the courts. I mean, they are a major apparatus of that reactionary social order and how it exerts power in the American political system. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I could not have said that better. And um, one of the ways they essentially, moving more towards the moral majority, because you're right about the Heritage Foundation, it, it was absolutely part of that apparatus that kind of, like, fervently uh, fought heavily against uh, the like, ab- um, abortion, birth control, and all of these, the basic things that, like, you know, would take for granted. Um, they ultimately helped the moral majority um, by mobilizing the conservative Christians. Um, and the moral majority was kind of like, it was more of like a like a moral movement to do things, while in the background, the Played this heavy political game. Um, it was like a propaganda machine, and I love I love citing this. But like they're they're often credited with giving two thirds of the white evangelical votes to Ronald. They were that influential in politics. Um, it it was it was very insane. They they also had like a because they were evangelical Christians. They also had like this Thai woman's. And we already mentioned the um Thai abortion. You know Thai some of them anti contraceptive um like policies and this because it also interfered with the traditional family the uh, the idea that like women should have a right to control their body and like no they must pump out as much children as possible which is insane um,
1: yeah and also like in the article you also get into this where it's like this movement from its inception was like intended to resist um growing progressive change i wouldn't even say left-wing right because you have like the civil rights era you have like the feminist movement and they kind of just pop up as this bulwark against social change but also i would argue as like a like social column against like the new left you know and then for them to exercise like political leverage to get ronald reagan in you know reagan comes in as this dual force of social conservatism particularly in the domestic sphere but then also when it comes to um his economic and foreign policy you know he presides over a a sweeping suite of neoliberal changes and gutting of uh of you know social support services welfare even you know going so far as to like really hamper down on labor unions uh and then as well as just like you know um working to, working in overdrive to like shut down left-wing and communist movements in latin america as well as well let's face it really helping um put the final nail in the coffin of the soviet union So. To this end it's like yeah these guys, this movement is socially conservative bigoted and, and you know interested in uh reaffirming if not maintaining these degrees of regressive and uh exploitative and oppressive you know social orders but it also has a vested interest in suppressing and um, assisting in the suppression of the left or any progressive force,
0: exactly, and that and that's one of the reasons why I think this movement, this moral majority movement, was so insidious. Because like it would be so easy to describe this movement as just just a standalone, just a social movement that's just here to you know uh, kind of spread Christianity, spread these good godly morals, right? But the problem is is that a it was just so uh, it was oppressive, right? And it had like these economic goals in the background. It Had like the like unstated not, not not even unstated. It just had like this this other side to it. This um this like super neoliberal, super oppressive, um, endorsing you know removing these social safety nets for people. Like it was so it was so insidious because to your everyday person, when you know when you talk about moral majority and Christian, they're just like it's just social movement. Not a lot of people the other half of it, right? Which I think is very telling about the movement in general um, and its, like, weaponization of this family values term, which is now a dog whistle. It's like, a, it's like an inception, right?
1: Exactly. And I think you also make a point to, you know, bring up that, like, they use this, um, this dog whistle to kind of couch i wouldn't say they hide it because you know now especially with like trump in the present you know i would say that this cohort is a lot more explicit with their views but they would definitely couch their like regressive views on on immigration to that extent and then also you made it a point to bring up you know figures like the scientific racist should such a thing exist like charles murray right where you know like their concept of family values is this one that it, it it kind of backfires right where it's like it, or it's like it's putting the cart before the horse where they allege that like uh because white people have stable families they have better life outcomes compared to you know people of color in the united states but you can't tie things like family stability or like career prospects um you know, independent of socioeconomic factors. exactly or to or, you know, like to, you know, lack of like uh generational wealth, you know, that that never comes up in these guys' estimations. But, you know, they try to come out with these like very doctored uh fig leaf of um of you know um facts and figures and research to justify what is fundamentally, you know, a racist outlook on anyone who is in white.
0: Yeah, it's so, yes, that I, I, when I was writing this article and specifically got to the part about Charles, um, I, w- I, I remember like taking notes and I was at a library and I was like reading all these books and I was like taking notes and I saw his name pop up quite a bit, right? I, in, in the back of my mind, I was like, hmm, I, I've heard of that name before. I don't know quite who this guy is, but I'm going to write his name down, take some notes on some of the, you know, so I started, you know, I started going through the article. Um, and, Later on, I uh, came back a different day, and I saw the name Charles Murray, and I remembered why I knew of him. Right, um, he was one of the, and he's actually one of that's one of the reasons why I called him the scientific racist. Here, he's one of the, um, he's one of the guys who wrote, who co-wrote the book, um, The Bell Curve. Do you know what that is?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's probably like the the seminal text of scientific racism, right? Ex- Where it's like yes you know oh like the middle of the bell curve is just unattainable by african-americans and i mean he even coined this term calling it like racial realism where it's like well you can write off this demographic because they're never going to hit the targets i've set for them
0: yeah it like he was the, also one of the like pioneers of the idea that iq is somehow inextric is like somehow in um inherently sorry tied race he was He's one of these like just these insane ideas. He was discredited so many times. Um, like this, this is the guy who like he's like the CEO of scientific racism. Yeah, basically. And, <laughs> and he's like tied into this movement. He's tied in. He's like been used. Used the term family values so many. Like added on so much context to it. He like the idea of removing social. Yeah, like we said already, the idea of removing social welfare programs. Just because, you know, these these groups of people are dumb. they'll never hit the middle of the bell curve. it's It's like insane how a everyone is so just interconnected in these in these groups. it like blows my, mind.
1: yeah. and I, I think I also find like Charles Murray particularly insidious, like for for aside from the reasons we've already discussed, is that like it leads to this certain class of intellectual or academic, I wouldn't say all, but at least his style, where it's like, you can discount history entirely. You can discount uh, socioeconomic or, you know, sociopolitical trends outright. You know, like for something like the bell curve to be written, you have to, out of whole cloth, neglect, uh, the realities of like, slavery, institutional racism, the prison-industrial complex. um the failure of recon- I mean there's like a whole suite of reasons why and they're not even like that far out of you know uh the public's reach like they are they're actually very mainstream sources that delve into this stuff right um that people have been either conditioned or intentionally ignore and in the case of you know people like Charles Murray you know he does the whole uh, facts don't care about your feelings. Dance, you know. He comes up with a he puts a graph in. Doesn't tell you how, what he used to extrapolate the data from that graph. You know, doesn't doesn't um, tell you what he's leaving out of his study, but because it's a book and it has numbers in it and it's got a graph. You know? must be right. You know, yeah. It's like the semantics of inte- intellectualism uh, hold more legitimacy than actual scholarship. In some cases, it would seem. And I, I hold him culpable for maybe maybe you can't hold him like solely culpable, but you can definitely hold him like responsible to some extent for like yeah this guy says he's an academic and he does the dance of writing a report, but that doesn't make a good scholarship, you know?
0: Exactly. Yeah. It, I also find it very interesting that he puts a huge like focus on this idea of like personal responsibility, which I know we've heard time and time. And time this idea that like you can just ignore all of these structural factors, ignore history, ignore all of this. But if you have the right personal responsibilities, you know, if you have the the right outlook on life, if, if someone is failing, if this group of people is not are not succeeding, the reason is not because of history or you know the structure of society or you know, different contradictions or any of that. No, it's 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 their own. It's literally on that. This 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 focus on personal responsibilities and according to him, is essentially what shapes this idea of family, and th- which, which is essentially his thesis on scientific race whole analysis that somehow, because of personal responsibility, and you know, that's somehow the, the, the reason why different races are getting, you know, have different treatment or different outlooks. It, it's, it's almost laughable to say that out loud. It's- it
1: it it is, and it's also funny because like, it's this strand of thought that like even crops back up into how white conservatives talk about white people, right? I think um, who's who's the guy who just became senator in Ohio, JD Vance? Mm. I mean, that's how he speaks about his own mother, who was like you know like, I think a single mother who was addicted to opiates, and he basically in his criticism of his mother and like people like that is like, well, it's because these. Poor whites can't uh, lift themselves up by the bootstraps, you know.
0: Yeah, it's 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 like it's terrifying almost how so many of these like conservative talking. You, if you like, just take if you put them up to the flame, you pull out a magnifying glass and you really study them. Where these are like, it's it's terrifying how many of them are coming from these like insane people in the seventies who say the most batshit insane thing, Um with the right amount of semantics nuance support of the current system instruction that are just repeated without thought by the conservative politicians
1: 100% 100% and this is why like again we've been insisting on this program for quite a while just pay pay attention to what was going on in the 60s and 70s you know harken back to the basics what happened
0: Yeah so that was um essentially the um the, the first article we talked about the, the moral majority. Um oh we oh yeah I, I also mentioned um Peter Sha- um I don't know why I'm tripping up over everyone's uh Phyllishafty in the seventies her opposition right. to the um Poor rights act. Um essentially using the the term as like a rallying cry to push back against like feminist advancement equality for women. Um she i feel like a lot of like very conservative like traditional um activists um specifically ones in like the anti-feminist space they they use a lot of her her rhetoric She she definitely like laid down the the foundations of so much of the talking points of the like the christian the strong christian approach to like feminist movements um especially when like one of her one of her main talking points was that uh these 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 um progressive movements kind of undermined, like family stability and social order so it's like it, it, i feel like talking points are repeated so often when it comes to like gender roles the LGBT community when it comes to rights for women i feel like she's kind of like the 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 beginning kind of like the, the 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 start for
2: so much absolutely I think like
1: something that always gets lost in some of that discussion right is that you know just because people may be the recipients of worse treatment or like the lesser position in a certain hierarchy or a certain social order it doesn't downplay their own willingness or ability to uphold that order right like, I think, you know, Phyllis Schlafly comes from a long, you know, a long line of, how do I say this, of, like, women who themselves are able to uphold patriarchy, despite not being the beneficiaries of patriarchal norms, right? Yeah. We can talk, you know, to that end, too, about, like, you know, all sorts of, like, people of color who are are willing to, you know, die on the hill of white supremacy. We can talk about queer people who are willing to uphold homophobia. You know, like, these people exist, and I think it's like, you know, that's one of those things you can never downplay is like merely appealing to the selfish benefit of, hey, you could have a better better life or a better standing in a more liberatory framework is not enough. People will actually find ways to, you know, I don't know how to say this, like express or find power in defending the status quo. And that... <laughs> that 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 mindset that dynamic is is always harrowing and interesting to watch all the same
0: yeah and um with with this dynamic of defending the status quo i think i think it's really interesting that that is ultimately what they're doing but they're kind of framing it behind this sense of morality um absolutely
1: absolutely towards
0: towards the end of the the very first essay i talk about how um, the, the, their proponents of, their, this idea of, like, the super strict, um, family structure, which is, like, their fortress against their, ema- their like, imagined, this completely unreal moral decay that's happening all over in their society, while, the, while at the same time, they're the ones who are, uh, ignoring this new diversity, this new, like, evolving nature of modern family, this, you know, new, it, like, you know, could be explored alternative family arrangements, alternative family family structures they um not only not only from like a moral sense but you can also look at it from just like an economic purely like statistical sense like the structure also benefits society you can also think about it selfishly um like this the 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 term family values is essentially a deceptive tool to kind of um create
2: this this fortress this safe for themselves and
0: speaking again on uh on sorry speaking again on um people who are ultimately marginalized in some way but also uphold the status quo there is also the very next article which is which i thought was one of the most interesting articles to research um about the term groomer uh we start exactly
1: off... i had i had one more thing to just say on the family oh, okay. values front and then like we can jump to that also like the the thing about family values and like the people who defended on like these weird like return type guys or like these trad house wife accounts you know like they're trying to harken back to a constructed reality i like that you use the term fortress to describe you know family values because it is a constructed thing it has to be upheld right and the the nuclear family as it's currently constituted is not exactly the most traditional or even like old-fashioned uh, family structure, you know. Like, there's joint family systems. There's the whole clan. System. Like, like there's a whole like, um, you know, subculture of anthropology that probably could explore family structure across the world, right? And the nuclear family as it currently exists, you know, like it's a post World War II American construction, and we've kind of seen that, like, you know, as the rust beltification of the United States has occurred, it got harder and harder to uphold that nuclear family structure. And we're kind of pushed into this hyper-alienated condition now, right? But I, I think to that end is like, you know, the-, the most insidious thing or the most insidious legacy of family values is this idea that, you know, the nuclear family is kind of taken as the be-all, end-all of human relation and connection and family uh when in reality it's uh it's it's a very new uh social order for how we structure families
0: absolutely and it's it's so interesting to me that we like oftentimes we we can like look at we can look at ourselves we can look at ourselves at, like the effects of just alienation under this like capitalist and we often think oh what you know why why are we having such this huge loneliness epidemic why 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 are so many people reporting to be lonely and you know having all these mental health issues that are like connected to the sense of loneliness that's like permeating our society and then we look at our family structure and it's just like it's it's the nuclear family you look at other cultures and you see their family structures and they have like entire groups of people all together all at the same time you know you have extended family you have like all of these different structures where people are just together and socializing all time you know i think that like this this construction that ultimately is just this thing that helps our like our uh society like produce quote-unquote more efficiently i guess um is the thing that is hurting us like terribly
1: yeah, exactly. And it's like, you can't look at the, the moral majority type conservative and the family values type conservative without, you know, tying it back to that post-World War II order where suddenly everything gets car dependent. Suddenly white people are flocking en masse to the, uh, to the suburbs, right? And the suburbs themselves are also like an alienating style of, of living. It's a, and it's also like a post-war reality, I don't think this suburban order has ever existed anywhere like this before. So, you know, as much as these people try to, you know, uh, posture themselves as protectors of tradition and, uh, you know, like things that they deem natural, uh, the thing that they're purporting to defend is fundamentally unnatural. And that's the irony that I wish people picked up on more often.
0: Yeah, I I would love that, but I don't think that's happening for a while. You know, I I feel like <laughs> yeah, I feel like not. it's it's so deeply ingrained in our culture that like I don't think
2: anyone's gonna wake up and oh there's ways Yeah, unfortunately not. Okay, don't let me hold you up any further. Let's get
1: into your <laughs> second article. Yeah, yeah.
0: My second article was about the term groomer. I it's funny because when I was explaining this to my wife, I told her this like the the origin of like the MC, of, of, of like the avengers when it came to like homophobia and, and like uh you know heteronormativity permeating our society this this was like the 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 origin of it all where it starts off with the save our children um mm-hmm. the save our children movement was this um kind of like Propaganda machine that existed as again, yet again, as a pushback back to progressive movements amongst um, LGBT community. Um, there was a, a there was a specific piece of legislation in Miami Dade County where it was a um, non discriminatory. It it like repealed back some of the discriminatory laws on some of the public spaces that LGBT. Specifically, it repealed the laws on some of the laws on housing, and um, this this housing law was the one that was that the Save Our Children movement was ultimately trying to.
2: Um, so the uh, yeah, so the the movement was starts off
0: in um, starts off in Miami, and they spearheaded by a woman named Anita Bryant and Anita Bryant is essentially the wasp like wedge like she is a beauty pageant who is a mother of four who is talking all this stuff about conservative christian values and how um you know gay people are a harm towards mom everywhere and she's very white so She's like the perfect spokesperson for like everything it she's she didn't she wasn't the one who immediately started the idea that, like um gay people were like groomers or pedophiles or anything of that nature. Um, but again, it, it was just like popularized it so heavily. her 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 calling phrase was literally, homosexuals cannot reproduce, so they must recruit. like she, that's like her her thing her idea that like the gay people reproduce on their own they're going to take your children give them the gay that was that was pretty much her entire idea they're going to freshen the rank recruit the youth um that was that was pretty much the the start of it all um she was um yeah she led this say uh lgbt so the the um it so yes, yeah, so when when the when the movement first started, it was it was started to um, end a law or to essentially allow discrimination to take place in Dade County. Um, and it ultimately did get appealed. Um, but another thing I wanted to mention was that the after Anita it, Anita essentially like spawned like this more radical thought. It was another it was essentially like the reaction to the reaction where um he accidentally like started an intense wave of LGBT activism, which I think is very interesting that like so many of these reactionaries accidentally start you know even progression
2: yeah, like kind kind of like they just they the threat against queer
1: people like almost like you know i guess like it's positive for for allies and for queer people right that like people you know saw the threat didn't take it lying down and then you know through solidarity fought back but then like as you said it's like completely like a backfire for the for the social reactionaries because they were intending to you know uh break down that confidence or break down that sense of safety and it blew up in their faces
0: exactly yeah, yeah, it, it it and it happens more often than you would think, which is also very interesting. Another thing that I've learned while researching. Um, so the save the save our children movement, it starts off in Florida. It like goes, it spreads like wildfire. Um, one of the bigger impacts was in uh California. They um they essentially like um the in, in California there was a um law about like the like how you could like dismiss like openly gay school employees. and this was another wildfire like contentious issue for the term groomer because it essentially like it paved the way <laughs> like th- this kind of stuff ran or walked so that the term groomer could run. it it allowed like the connection between um like schools and these gay teachers. Um, it kind of like started that kind of, which is why we hear so much of that today. um. And another very interesting thing, which is why I call this the like the NCU for the worst people, um the Save Our Children laid the groundwork for the emergence of the moral majority. Jerry Falwell, who just talked about in the article, right um, he um oftentimes before he even, you know, really blew up as the pastor as he was, gave support to the Save Our Children. Like it this movement was this rally cry for the conservative people and they stepped up and they got organized that's why we have the you know the heritage foundation
2: majority that's why we have so so much so many groups
1: um, yeah and
2: then and that's the thing is like you know
1: that that structure that political apparatus um kind of harkens back to older behaviors right you know like we have the concept of blood libel against Jewish people, right? Where, like, you know, the one of the earliest forms of anti-Semitism in medieval Europe was, you know, this proliferation of myths and you know uh, rumors that uh, Jewish people sacrificed Christian children. Fat, you know, patently untrue, but it was used as an excuse to perpetuate anti-Semitism in those days. You had, you know, again in the post Reconstruction Deep South. Um, with things like Emmett Till, right? Where uh black males, I wouldn't even say men in all cases, because in the Emmett Till's case it was a boy. He was right? a
0: literal child, yeah. A literal
1: child. He was a boy, uh accused uh as you know, like the this the stereotype of black uh males as like hyper sexualized, hyperaggressive, uh people that are going to uh violate white women right and that was often used as a pretext for lynchings and other crimes against uh black men and black people in the south um and then you know in today's form right um we have people in the media alleging that no palestinian is innocent because they're all sympathetic with terrorism or You know, earlier this year that you can't trust any queer person, how any person with with blue hair and a shaved side because they might, you know, want to, if not indoctrinate, harm your children. You know, like this this behavior, this myth of taking the other, taking the marginalized person, taking the person who you don't understand and instead of investigating or interrogating your apprehensions immediately leaning into this idea that not only are they always doing harm but in fact the harm that will be done is always nearby and immediate so any action that you take no matter how regressive reprehensible immoral uh is this kind of justified action of self-defense right um that's that's where you know moral majority and this ilk you know, gets their juice off of that mistaken and immoral premise.
0: Exactly. And it's that, that concept right there is why, like, dog whistles are just so dangerous. It's like, when you, when you like, are looking into some of the most disgusting, like, homophobic violence that we have in history, so, so much of it are, are just people who thought that they were doing, quote-unquote, the right thing. It's, it's people who are brainwashed the people like that landlord that murdered that that child and his mom and like stabbed his mom like it's it's this kind of language this kind of rhetoric this political ploy that gets people to that state why it's so important dog whistles get called out get like documented heavily
1: exactly and i think like you know this (laughs) this idea of the the queer person as a groomer it did not End with Anita Bryant. It did not end with you know Moral Majority. Uh, in fact, it took on a new form. And in your in your uh, article, you get into this very eye opening, but just deeply concerning and 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 you know worrisome realization that uh, trolls, if not just some of the most sick and evil people on 4chan. Uh, invented uh, wa- or basically wanted to uh, seed an astroturf in into the into the internet either, this idea of um pedophilia or this uh, fake this fake term that they invented, minor attracted person as a um, you know, as like a legitimate um sexual identity to really muddy the waters and put, you know, queer people and their allies in this like rump position by um you know having them to you know like you know using the the water down and um you know like putting yourself in a corner language in certain like identity politics spaces to like have them like ma- like you know like look ma- put them like in an adjacent position to some of the worst people in our society, and let's—I let's, need you to get into like where you found this and like how that that played out in your article because this, um, this this realization got picked up by right wingers like Chris Rufo and Chaya Rachik who really did the libs of TikTok accounts. Yep, and it's it's like you know we've seen how this is playing out this year, right? Uh, this lie has been turned into. You know, a crusade against vulnerable LGBTQ people in our society.
0: Yeah, when when I was looking into this issue, I like when I when I first started doing research for this specific issue, I in my head I'm thinking, okay, we all know about moral majority. We know Anita Brown horrible hurt. We all know, right? So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, the link to you know pedophilia and LGBTQ community was just a thing that someone said a long time ago. And it's prejudice that was just passed down father to son or, you know, person that is, you know, you know, learning and learns wrong. They pick up the wrong. That's what I thought that, you know, the idea must like spread. But I couldn't be actually any further from the truth if I tried. Um, I ended up doing a lot of research online when it came to like search um, analytics. When it comes to I, I like abuse the Wayback Machine, and so this I began by specifically looking for like the the earliest terms that I could think of that would link the LGBT to like pedophilia, and I began by looking for these terms. Some of the earliest usage of these terms were on 4chan, and kept going back until about um, I believe it was like kind of the the middle of like, around July of 2017, 2016. And it, like, I found the post. I found the capital T, the post. Um, It's essentially a it, another reaction, yet a, 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 just another reactionary thing, where it's users on 4chan plotting and scheming. They're literally, like, planning on how they are going to link pedophilia the LG movement. They are photoshopping images and pasting them in this four channel post. Um telling people they're, de- they're devising strategies. They're telling people like how many Tumblr accounts to make, how many Twitter accounts to make, how to like, you know, which types of what type of content to post. They're 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 saying that like you first start off by posting like this um like seemingly normal, very progressive content you flood your page with that until you get X amount of followers and slowly and surely start adding um um pedophilic like epi- um like uh, apologetics almost where you start defending uh, pedophilia as as like this this false flag, this fake like person so that you could slowly link people to like this you know, the worst people to another marginalized group. It was very jarring. I like scrolling through the post. It felt like I should have been drinking heavily, like just looking at the worst of humanity. Link a, you know, try to start a a campaign against a group of people that are already so marginalized. We have to remember this is 2016, right? Like gay marriage is just now legal. Like it, it just now became bad to, you know, drop like It just now starts becoming, you know, accepted to like you know respect gay people. Now we have this campaign to completely manipulate the LGBT movement, Um, and the propagation of these hoaxes like they spread like wildfire. Like it's it's insane. I I found so many um, concerned parents, moms, concerned dads, teachers posting exact same image which was the first image in this 4chan thread like they're posting the exact same image um, that have this LG where P is pedosexual like it's almost directly from 4chan uh, and like the problem is to narrow down this issue have to go back to 4chan have to look at what they're saying because the second it leaves the site there's no real way of knowing whether this person genuinely is a troll, or if they are genuinely just concerned because they saw it somewhere and they think it's real, they have like it's it's convincing propaganda. They have um, like logos, everything conveniently planned out thread um, for them. The point where uh, you have several foundations posting um, like responses saying that they are in no way. You know, related to this pedosexual movement, it's it's so eye opening, jarring that like people organized got this done. Now you
2: have Rhonda. Now you have Ma- Ma- Mary.
0: I can't. Predict. Marjorie Majority, Taylor Green. Marjorie Taylor Green. You got
2: like the
1: libs of TikTok. You got Chris Rufo. You, I mean, you got all of these people, and like you know we we talk about how like the american republican party and its various like you know patronage networks engage in astroturfing right how they build you know fake grassroots projects how they build you know fake like presences on on the internet you know i mean this is this is only one example of how to do astroturf especially the way they do it but this is this is particularly insidious you know because you can effectively, you know, like lie on people's name. You can lie on, uh, on like you know the reality of, of of queer life in America, and through the anonymity of the internet, you can create this like false evidence of of worrisome activity and worrisome behavior that people are, I mean, frankly, right to suspect, right? But then. You maliciously link this to the queer community, and you muddy the waters and you make things, you know, uh, more confusing, more susceptible to misinterpretation, and you've got queer people on the hook for something that they themselves do not stand for. It should be, you know, I mean, it, it's it's 2023. No one in in the queer community such as it is supports, you know, um pedophilia. The the existence of groups like NAMBLA and like all these weird like pedophile groups that existed in the 60s and 70s. I hope to God they've been exterminated or they hope to God that you know like they've lost all pr- cultural purchase because nobody stands with them. Nobody cares about them, but I think from the jump, you know, even before the internet, there's always been this
2: uh push to present uh queer
1: um adults who engage in consensual relationships with uh deviants with sex criminals with i mean the worst of our society right people who commit the worst abuses and this is this is not you know like uh It's not for nothing. It's not happening in a vacuum. These people have a project to immiserate and, you know, double down on the social oppression of queer people in our society. They resent the few legal gains that queer people have in the United States and have to resort to dirty tactics to justify dehumanization.
2: yeah it's it's it's
0: honestly it's so sad because like it's like the this marginalized group of people their love just became they're now they're now like just now becoming accepted it's like you're 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 kicking someone while they're already down I think the another interesting thing that you was the fact that like the idea of linking like completely consensual gay relationships to um sexual deviance is is very interesting because like I think that that's that prejudice that already existed. It kind of exacerbated this as like like even even one of the people in this chen post literally say, "No one's gonna fact check this, so let's you know." Like it's the problem is that society was already kind of like so the normative position in society was already very homophobic, right? So like creating this campaign, you know, you know, photoshopping quote unquote evidence that it just the smallest bit of convincing was all was all the Tinder you needed to start to start this flame. Like it was it was like the perfect storm. Terrifying, right? Exactly. So the, yeah, so the so the first the first um big campaign was this LG LGBT. Um which I wanna just add is another very harmful thing because I again they did that on purpose because the like pansexuals is also a thing, but like adding to the to the acronym is gonna raise eyebrows. LGBT heterosexuals. Um there were a couple of various other hoaxes while um while on 4chan that were spread around. Martin uh, Martin Screlly actually um posted a, a a made a post I think on on Twitter about uh just another hoax of
2: Tying the LGBT uh, community, pedophilia, and
0: you know that's I I don't it's it's so sad because like some of these people who I do think are bad actors they will spread this and then a lot of it is spread by people who are not bad actors they're just people who are just you know they they got tricked by just the propaganda
1: yeah there, there are people who are who are gullible enough to fall for it right but then right I think it also speaks to I think in an inadequacy with, I guess, how I would say more like a liberal type of, you know, of, of people or groups discuss issues of identity politics and how they discuss queer, you know, the issues faced by queer people, right? There is a limitation to how they engage with it. They, there is a limitation to the styles of argument. There's a limitation to how um, they interact on the internet right that makes them susceptible to having their terminology and their approach um you know stolen and weaponized by the right and we've seen this you know play i mean like i've talked at length about you know liberals on twitter and then tiktok you know style identity uh, identity politics people you know, like fumbling the bag when it comes to confronting the right or not knowing what to do when their stuff gets, you know, um uh, appropriated or taken out of context, right? And this is this is probably one of those examples, right? Where it's like, um the the most basic approaches to identity as we talk about the Mid American political discourse in the liberal sphere, right? Is it's it's severely limited. It's severely um um, how, how do I put this, right? It's like it's like fighting with a strict form, you know, you can't you can't do uppercuts. you can't you can't sidestep. You can't, you know, do all the stuff that you need to do to like win in a fight. You have to do this like, uh politeness-based, uh, weird recognition stuff, you know. And they capitalized on that. The right wing capitalized on that, tried to make up a new group. And it puts people in a rump position where either they're gullible enough to admit, oh, it looks like how they talk, so it's got to be real, or you're stuck looking like a crank trying to argue about why this isn't the case. And with astroturfing, you know, you do it all with the veil of anonymity on the internet, so it could take weeks to expose somebody as a fake while the damage has already been done in the court of, the, of public opinion.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and like, and like, once the damage is done, there's no going back. There is no, no one's gonna, no one's gonna go back and then make the exact same post and get the exact same reaction that they got on the original post, or when they're finding out that no, LGBT isn't really a thing. No one's gonna, you know, like, no one's gonna go back and understand that, like, oh, I was actually wrong. Do the damage. There is isn't the damage is done. You know, no one's gonna. They're gonna start forming their own opinions on this once they do that's it's over.
1: Right. And it's like, I think it's incumbent on us to reject the culture war framing because liberals participate in the culture war, and we're seeing how their front in in the culture war isn't always the best managed or isn't always the like, you know, on the winning. It's not able to deliver for the people who are most vulnerable, and we're seeing how that plays out, right? And I think we it's incumbent on the left, those of us in the oh, hang on. I don't know what happened. Discord cut out for a second. So as as I was saying, sorry. Mm-hmm. So it, it's incumbent for us on the left to have a framework that is liberatory and does not fall into the trap of playing the culture war. That does that uh, you know is not only resistant to being co opted, but in fact you know like it becomes easy to suss out who's on some real shit and who isn't. So having a left wing framing, you it's very it starts to become a lot easier. You know, who's, who's sincere and who isn't. Merely quoting terminology is, isn't enough. Um, it takes like a real, like, you know, felt sense and then a, a practical way of expressing that, that one can only have with a serious engagement with, I mean, I'm fair, socialist, communist, or anarchist thought,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that makes that expression sincere. If you don't have that, you're going to get caught in these games
0: yeah, it's so it's so interesting how how true that is. Like even these these like these terms that get thrown around, like intersectionality, identity politics, they have such an interesting root in this leftist thinking. they were they were they have such an interesting like story behind them. They have very powerful and very important meanings. but then they get co-opted and you know, by liberals and they take them and they they essentially end up shooting, like you, like you said, they're fighting with a strict form. They're shooting themselves in the foot because then you will get your Ben Shapiro's. You will get your your, you know, your your debate lords who will sit there and play these dumb semantic games with you, right? That these dumb games and they will win. They will win the semantic arguments. They will win the the debates online. And it's because they don't, you know, liberals are lacking in this analytical framework that so many people on the left have.
1: Exactly. So all all I can say, right? um i wrote a little something here to maybe tie all this together and then we can have an extended discussion but you know from this i think what we can examine is that the mechanism of the culture war as first invented by the evangelical right which which by the way has not has also played a role not only in the dehumanization of queer people but also of the palestinians and has remained eerily silent on israel's treatment of palestinian christians and the desecration of churches in recent days—something I wanted to add—but um, the culture war has also been exported internationally. You know, I can confirm on this exportation because I see how it plays out. In you know, like my family's from India, I see how Indian politics plays out. There, the culture war is on steroids, but it plays out very identically to how it plays out in the United States. So, I think. To develop on the theory that we've been expounding on on this podcast, that all American political discourse gets parsed through the very limiting and very um, inadequate lens of the culture war. We also need to recognize that the culture war is a mechanism to dehumanize people
2: and perpetuate systems of dehumanization. very well said yeah every
0: single instance of the culture war all of the all of the debates it's it, you can almost frame every single instance of that of should these should i treat these people as human which is just an insane thing and it's it's so wild that like you're like like you said the almost all like forms of american political discourse to, to, does in fact get sorted and parsed by the culture war
1: Yeah, and it's again like as the American right is starting to export more of this right wing, you know, sentiment we're seeing around the world, right? Where I think it can't be downplayed. You know, there is a global uptick in anti-Semitism. That is that is a reality. You know, there is a global uptick in right wing parties, particularly in Europe um and like weird like you know fascist uh sympathies you know as we saw in the Canadian parliament not too long ago right yep. so the global right is is on the rise that that fact has to be reckoned with but i think a, an example i fall back on a lot is like i think they're starting to learn the lo- the wrong lessons from uh you know their american exporters so um I was I was visiting family in India one time and a discussion came up about, you know, India's version of affirmative action. And I heard the Fox News talking points on affirmative action read aloud verbatim by somebody who was very angry. Oh no. In Hindi, but the thing is his argument was one I'd already heard in the United States. I already knew how to counter that in English. I just had to translate but it should be noted that, like, the variety being exported um, around the world, at least in my estimation, seems to be the American variety. So I, I don't know what global solidarity is going to look like in the coming days or in the coming months, but I think we should be mindful of the reality of, you know, our culture war problems um are not ones that you know exist in the American vacuum. They do have some kind of global implication that we have to be aware of. and as the the global right uh, exerts a degree of of weird solidarity, I think we have to you know look at certain issues like you know like how does queer liberation internationally look? It's not going to look the same everywhere, but There's these repeated talking points I've seen on the internet lately of like, well, you know, the Palestinians aren't uh, pro-LGBT rights. Yeah, well, Israel's record is also a little shady. So is the United States's, right? But one thing that I try to fall back on in these discussions is that, you know, no government handed queer people their rights on a silver platter. They had to fight for them themselves, whether it was here Even in Cuba, with its, you know, radical change of, you know, how it defines a family this year, you know, it took uh, queer people in Cuba and their allies to fight uphill on that. You know, if you take a look at civil rights in America, black Americans had to fight for those rights as well. It was not handed to them by the American state. So we need to reject this, you know, we need to reject these frameworks of, you know, like unnecessary civility and unnecessary deference. Uh, to the status quo, but we do need to have serious reckonings with the structure and dynamics of how America has prosecuted its own internal culture war, how that culture war has dumbed down and really obfuscated how we talk about politics in the United States, and more broadly, I think there is an interest by the global rights to have that dumbing down exported across the world for more complacent populations. At the bare minimum, who's to say?
0: Yeah, no, I think you're really onto something. Like this, this idea of a perfect victim is just a laughable one. You know, you're not gonna have uh, like a victim of a genocide. You know, uh, like you know what I mean. Like the victims of a genocide are not gonna have the perfect liberal. You know, like progressive talking points memorized. They're just not. You know, and even if their society is, you know, not the best when it comes to you know all of these issues, which I do think they should get better on. That doesn't. Like, what's the point here? Are you are you telling me that they're they should be genocided? Like, what what are we what are we actually trying to say here? You know, and I, I think that's just so laughable and insane. Um, and I if, also. Want- and, and
1: he- And you even see it in Israel, too, where, like, there are calls for peace within Israel. There are calls for, like, the escalation of violence. And Israelis calling for peace are getting met with derision and, you know, violence. So it's it's a shit show all around, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I also wanted to make another comment on the idea of the um, export of the culture wars, which I think is very interesting. Um, The culture wars um here in America in general have been like this right wing but more specifically a subset of them the these evangelical Christians um i think it's i think it's very interesting um i don't know if you know i don't know if I, a lot of people know this or not but the evangelical right is like essentially where so much of Israel's funding is coming from because of exactly. Their own belief exactly. System, you know and the like the, while i do obviously evangelical evangelicalism isn't strictly american um, I, it's it's interesting to see that like people who are like people on the right, like we talk about it, like a global right, it's just strange if you just sit down and look at their views towards Israel. It can it can be from you know strongly positive because of their evangelical Christian backgrounds, or it can be strongly <laughs> negative due to you know European uh, anti-Semitism. You know, it's it's very interesting seeing kind of like the broad array of of, of ideas there.
1: Also, it's, like, the evangelical support for Israel is, like, it's uniquely anti-Semitic, right? Where it's, like, you know, like, they exist solely to advance forth, like, this kind of evangelical view of the apocalypse, right? To trigger conflict in the Holy Land or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, evangelicals are crazy, man. I don't, I, like, (laughs) like... It, it's it's so it's 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 insane when you when you look at what they believe or what they say they believe on paper you're like okay okay sure and then you look more into the implications and you look at what they believe like why they support israel and it's like oh okay you're kind of insane you know like the the the, the second you take a magnifying glass to it it becomes the most batshit insane thing ever
1: yeah it's i cannot even begin to understand all of it and especially how it ties into things like you know like millenarian uh sects or like like the re- like weird like white identity stuff that like really translates into like weird race war stuff from like uh like uh like white terrorism days in like the 90s and shit is so crazy it's it's above my understanding <laughs> i don't know how to say it
0: i mean yeah i mean like evangel like because of the fact that like the evangelical movement, because of the fact that it's a movement, it is not a specific like sect of Christianity. It's again very insidious because it's like transdimension. It's transdenominational, actually. Like it. It is
1: transdimensional it, to a certain extent. We can.
0: <laughs> fair. I mean, but like it. It. I guess my point is that like you can be any denomination of Christian and then also be evangelical, and this this movement is. Oh, I guess I guess any denomination as long as you're Protestant. And this movement of evangelicalism is just like weeping. I think the statistic now is that one in four Christians in America are evangelical, and that is and that is specifically due to the fact that it is transdenominational, and it is so dangerous. And like the the one of the earliest uses of the word evangelical comes from uh the like it was it was first some I, th- I believe it was Martin Luther don't quote me on that um calling protestants evangelicals and like once you once you think about that you're like oh this is interesting you you look at the origins of white supremacy and how it directly relates to protestant supremacy and you go oh that's interesting and then you look at this movement that is reinforcing white supremacy within protestantism that is evangelicalism, and you go, oh, that's interesting, you know? Like, it, it's it's very interesting to see these ideas interact with each other.
1: Uh, exactly, exactly. All I'm gonna say is, so they got no problem when denominationals want to be trans, but the minute somebody uses a pronoun, <laughs> it's game over, huh? Yeah,
2: Sorry,
0: man. That's my
1: dad joke for the <laughs> day.
2: That's enough.
0: <laughs> that's, that's awesome.
2: <laughs>
1: that's enough out of me for today.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, it, it's insane how just evangelical christian and they're ultimately responsible for moral majority and Anita Bryant and save our children and and like everything Ronald Reagan they're responsible for
2: so much
1: Yeah and it's kind of like you you have to look at all historical events and how they relate into one another there's it's it's kind of trite or self-evident to say that you know everything's connected but in this case as we've seen there, there is a connection that runs deep, and I think we should understand that these dynamics of dehumanization uh, run common in all the populations that get dehumanized.
0: Yeah. So I'm also, I'm also very yeah, curious. Go. I'm sorry. I also just, just a little side note. I'm also very curious uh, because I was, because I've been doing a lot of research on this. I've done a ton of research on. Evangelicalism, specifically American evangelicalism, and I'm I'm I, I'm forming a, a a theory about why they are so complicit with the dehumanization of others due to like just their own belief structure and their own belief system. It, it's it's almost inherent to a way. yeah.
1: I I don't know because like the 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 furthest I can get and like we're falling back on um a <laughs> people's history of the U.S. Right, like once again we're falling back on it. I don't know. It's like if you look at like this kind of settler colonial idea of the United States and like the puritans and you know manifest destiny and protestant work ethic it's this very weird idea of like we are the elect and others aren't yeah. so we deserve this like ill-gotten and and you know uh supreme wealth at the expense of blood across the world it's it's i don't know how to describe or even explain that mindset because it's one that I was never privy to, nor is it one that I ever think I should ever adopt for myself. But it is yeah. one that exists, and it is one whose effects we see play out every day.
0: Yeah, it's also, it's also a hypocritical mindset, if you think about it. There, like One of the earliest like debates among Protestants, especially after, um, after the colonies were here in America, um were like so a, a big part of evangelicalism is the conversion right like like um proselytizing you know being an event you know being an evangelical spreading the the good news or whatever um a big part of uh of evangelicalism is that conversion right and it's so goofy because one of the earliest arguments amongst the evangelicals or i'm, I'm sorry amongst the protestants in America were should we actually be telling our slaves about jesus like is it like we know it's ethical to own slaves but like is it ethical to own christian slaves so it really is like a it's like a an elevated status for them it really is like a us versus you know the world mentality
1: yeah and it's like it's not even one that's exclusive to protestantism right because you had like this um discovery doctrine in catholicism right where i think there was this concept of terra nullius where like if no one on the land is Christian, you're you're within your rights to do whatever you want.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is just unreal. Or something that's I can't even like. Ex- I don't even understand how you would like get to that conclusion. I guess
1: it's a, it's a doctrine of selfishness, right? You know what I mean? It's like you know, you have institutions like the church, you have institutions like religion, you have law, all this stuff, right? These things don't exist to supplant or enforce a morality. They they kind of exist to, I mean, if you really want to be as jaded as I am, they exist for the ruling order to justify whatever it is they want to do. That's just my my black pill take. Who's to say?
0: I, I'm right here with you, man. I'm to <laughs> say, I'm to say, I think you're right. Man,
1: why
2: the pill got to be black?
0: Why the pill got to be black, man? Come on now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know. This is—it's
1: definitely one of those topics that, like, it's worth some consideration. It's worth, like, in a, in a historical and also a philosophical context, right? Because you can't examine western society as as i don't like the term but it is the term that gets tossed around right Mm -hmm. you can't separate that from um european conceptions of government european conceptions of religion and then the assumptions of morality that those entail that has to be reckoned with to some extent even if they're not ones that we share to this day, they're ones that went into the historical structuring of this current society. So, though that th- that doesn't go anywhere, you know, like that, that just because history is said and done, doesn't mean it went nowhere. We're still like living with it. I guess if anyone wants, like, what what's the easiest way to understand karma as a concept? That's karma. It's dead yeah. and gone, but you still you're still living
0: with it absolutely yeah like you know in the 70s a woman named anita Bryant like wanted to launch a crusade and now today you know with the past year or so we have the don't say gay bill you know it's all directly connected
1: exactly exactly and i think it's like maybe to tie back to like some of the earlier episodes we did where we were talking about you know uh diane feinstein kind of taking over san francisco after georgia Moscone and dave and and harvey milk are assassinated right you know you have like this progressive or interceding force for queer liberation albeit not perfect but it's one that exists it's shot down the two the two guys are killed and then you have this real change in conditions that changes you know um how queer politics and how queer liberation plays out in americas from that point onward in addition to things like anita bryant in addition to things like the moral majority in addition to the development of neoliberalism and the synthesis of social reaction and neoliberalism under you know ronald reagan so that's that's the kind of mindset i'm in when i look at history i I implore other people to adopt that one.
2: it's if not if not useful, it's fun
0: if if not useful, it's fun,
2: yeah But, yeah, I think
1: and again, like just just with current events and even the 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 topic of this episode, I know it was this was a tough one as well. I am hoping we will have more fun content coming up in this coming up soon. I'm pretty happy with, like, how much more consistent we've been lately, but, you know, uh, this, is, this is not our, our day job, so we try to get to this when we have the time for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I Look, I'm digging the episodes as well. I, I can't be mad.
2: Yeah, so I think with all this said, is
1: there anything else we failed to bring up, or is there any other closing thoughts you might have, John?
0: Um not off the top of my head i think that just as a closing statement i think it's really important to um you know analyze ideas analyze uh language if you genuinely think something uh came from nowhere it didn't you should you know look at the conditions look at what's going on to you know create there's a reason why people are saying what they're saying there's a reason why people are doing what they're doing um and you should analyze that if you wanna like understand you know how we got here. That's that's kind of my closing thoughts.
1: I think that's spot on. All right. John, do you wanna plug uh your medium as well as your Twitch stream?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I um I have a medium account. Um it's just jamiex ninety seven. I'll maybe if you want we can throw the the links to the articles. Oh yeah, I
1: was planning to link the articles in the show notes.
0: Awesome. And my Twitch dream where I do dumb things and play video games and sometimes discuss politics. Um is SS Boom man two s's two N's. I'm I'm actually thinking of changing my name because the SS gets kinda scary when you're in political spaces. Um it is just Sparky Sparky Boom Man from Avatar the Last Airbender. I promise you I'm not an evil person. Um
1: <laughs> I promise uh, I did not notice that until you brought that up. Oh man.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's. I I think there was there was an incident that happened in a Minecraft server where we got the oh,
1: literally in a Minecraft server, literally in a Minecraft server, actually
0: in a Minecraft server. Actually, where there was there was some um, far right people uh, who like got into our Minecraft server. We got hate rated, and I think it was they, I think someone expected me to join them because I had SS in my name, and I was like, uh, no, get the fuck out. But um, regardless twitch is yeah, yeah, it, boom, was just, it was
1: just a <laughs> reference to like the avatar character sparky sparky boom man that's what
0: yes literally that's all it was but here we are um but yeah that's my twitch i sometimes write articles on medium i just recently did a piece on um just an, a very high level very brief overview analysis on israel and palestine if you guys want to check that out um and that is me
1: all right, I will have the links to the articles as well as John's Twitch stream in the show notes as well as the links to our own social media where you can follow us for updates. Uh, Twitter still remains the space uh, where we post updates, but uh, I don't know. I don't know where the internet's going, guys. We'll see how this plays out. Uh, but until next time, refer to our link tree. You can find all, our sp- uh, all the places we are on the internet there.
2: And we'll see you next time. Take care.